live from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Fight for Good podcast. I'm your host, Major Jamie Satterley, Director of Publications for the Salvation Army. And in today's podcast, we're speaking with the National Community Relations and Development Secretary, Dale Bannon, about our Christmas uh, efforts and hope marches on. How are you doing today, Dale? I'm doing great, Major Satterley. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It's always a joy to come and uh, join the team. You know, we're so excited. Uh, it's such a great time of year, um, you know. It, for people of faith, you know, it's celebrating Christmas. So in the army, of course, we're super busy. So we want to talk just a little bit about this year's theme, Hope Marches On. Can you tell us a little bit about what's the goal and the message behind that theme? Well, first of all, I would agree with you that when you think of Christmas time, you think of hope, you think of giving a season of generosity. How many... Um, adults today can tell you that their first charitable experience was putting a quarter or a dollar in that red kettle. It's uh, how your parents teach you to give back uh, to one another. We have those stories all over the country. If you've ever gone out and you participated in bell ringing for the Salvation Army, uh, many people will come up to you as you're ringing the bell and they'll say, uh, Either I have learned how to give back through this Salvation Army kettle, or I want to tell my story of how the Salvation Army helped me and my family at a time when we needed them most. So it's just a remarkable time. It's not only celebrating Christ's birth, but there's also something very special in the Salvation Army about that Red Kettle campaign and also helping so many people. And what we do with our theme, and particularly this year called Hope Marches On, the, the history behind why we do that, for us, this is a brand awareness campaign designed to inform and inspire the American public to give during the holiday season. It's estimated about 70% of all of our fundraising dollars actually come in during the first quarter of our fiscal year, which is October all the way to December 31st. So the more we can do in advertising and promoting um, a theme at Christmas time that promotes giving, uh, that theme needs to help communicate our mission, our, our incredible work all over the country, and, and most importantly as well, give donors and new supporters the opportunity to give back and help their neighbors in need at the local level. So that's our aim and our purpose behind a national brand message at Christmas time. Awesome. So can you share a little bit about how Hope Marches On, that, that specific theme came about? Well, first of all, I have to give a lot of credit. We have an excellent advertising agency named Lerma Advertising out of Dallas. They work alongside our national leadership, our team here at national headquarters, and they do a couple of things before a theme is developed and launched. The first thing is we want to understand our Salvation Army local most pressing needs. Where are you serving? Where are the gaps in service? How can we communicate to the American public, here is a problem that we need your help in solving? Um, once we determine that, and we'll get to that here in a moment, I'm sure, um, then our advertising agency works alongside us to develop a compelling message that's aligned with our brand promise of doing the most good. And then it may be a surprise to many listeners on this um, podcast today to learn 
that we actually conduct focus groups. Uh, there are focus groups that we hold internally. We ask the territories to help provide uh, a list of names of local officers, area commanders, as well as development staff professionals. We then kind of pitch some of those campaign themes to them. They provide feedback to us. Uh, that's a really important part of the process before we settle on a theme. And then also our advertising agency, we go out to the general public, sometimes people who've never heard of the Salvation Army before, and we conduct a focus group with them just to see how the theme might resonate with them. After those focus groups are conducted, uh, then we're ready to go into production and prepare media assets. That's television. You'll see commercials that are sponsored by the Salvation Army. You'll see digital display assets when you're on Facebook or uh, Instagram. Uh, when you search the Salvation Army, some of our ads might pop up just encouraging uh, you to give and join the Hope Marches on campaign. Uh, all of that takes place. Um, it's a very thorough process and all that takes place so that we're ready October 1st and sometimes even before October 1st uh, so that we're ready for the most busy fundraising season we have um, so that we can help uh, meet local needs all over the country. So you said 70% of our fundraising efforts come in the first quarter. So can you talk for a minute about how this money that's raised in the kettles impacts the local units and the communities that they serve? That's a really great question, Major Satterley. And I think it's a distinction of what separates the Salvation Army National Headquarters from other national nonprofit organizations. So I can assuredly say to you, every dollar that's raised local stays local. I can also sure, assuredly say to you that every dollar that's given on a national platform, so if you go and enter SalvationArmyUSA.org and you click the Donate Now button, the nice thing about the way our structure is set up is that when a donor gives online through a national platform like our website, we take that donor zip code and those dollars are returned right to the local community. We, we exist to serve the local needs and the local core and unit. So you can be assured that every dollar that you give to the Salvation Army, whether on a national platform or all the way at your local red kettle at the Walmart at Christmas time, is gonna be used to meet local needs in your community. So it's vital. There are some core that the red kettle campaign, just the cash and coin alone in that kettle for an entire month, month and a half, uh, sometimes that's up to 30 to 35% of their annual operating budget. So you might think, I'm giving in my red kettle and that's helping families at Christmas time. That's doing more than helping families at Christmas time provide presents under the tree. That's sustaining a local core operation to help families year round. So I cannot emphasize enough how important that Red Kettle campaign is and our fundraising season in the first quarter. It's, it's vital uh, for our ministry and serving suffering humanity. Yeah, you're right. I know in my core officer days, um, of course, you know, like you said, Christmas, the income that we get at Christmas would go to sustain programs all year long. And we would, you know, try to try to talk to people about that. Don't feel bad if all you have are quarters. You know, sometimes people are apologetic. All I have are a couple of quarters in my pocket. Say, listen, everything that you drop in that kettle goes to help families, not just now, all year round um, through feeding programs and sheltering and 
you know, rent assistance and utility assistance and all manner of other things, sending kids to camp in the summer. Um, those quarters stretch us 365 days a year. So please scrounge up those pennies, whatever it is that you have in your cup holder in your car, pull them all together, drop them in that kettle. Uh, you make a difference in people's lives, not just at Christmas, the whole year through. There used to be a theme that we we used to use or an expression called need knows no season. Yeah. And that's so true with our Red Kettle campaign. Can you imagine what started in 1891 in San Francisco, you know, the boiling pot story of Captain McPhee, where, uh, you know, he would uh, cook soup for, for people who were in need at night. But during the day, uh, he would ask people to fill that empty pot. I don't think he ever imagined that that fundraising effort in San Francisco would grow to the largest anonymous cash fundraiser, I would believe, in the entire world. Last year, even during the pandemic, we raised close to $120 million in cash and coin. So you're right. Every quarter... Every penny, every nickel, I, ha- I can't leave out the bills. Yeah. Every dollar, five dollar, twenty dollar, hundred dollar bill, they matter uh, to help us meet uh, those needs in the local community. Absolutely. You know, in thinking about everything that we have endured across the world uh, in the past almost two years now uh, with the COVID pandemic, um, I know one of the things at the forefront of everybody's mind are concerns about pandemic poverty, housing concerns coming out of the pandemic. Um, What can you share about this? What is the Salvation Army doing to help address these needs? And why does the Christmas effort matter to that? Well, I think that's a perfect segue to talk about how did we arrive on the theme of Hope Marches On. You know, we've just come through a very trying time in our country through the COVID pandemic. It's been a good two years and Sometimes when you watch the news today, you think there might be, uh, you know, we're praying against that, but there's even another strand uh, that's that's coming upon America and our world. And yet at the same time, there's this sense of hope that we might be coming through it. There's, there's, a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. However, it's really important uh, for us to communicate and to represent and advocate for the families we serve. These are families that before the pandemic were living in poverty, living paycheck to paycheck. And I can tell you that even through our nation's history, when there's an economic setback, and this is probably when one of the largest ones since the recession in 2008, it takes our families, the families we serve, much longer to bounce back from an economic setback, to get back into the job market. Um, And I'm just going to give you a couple of stats that I think are staggering um, that speak to this pandemic poverty uh, for our campaign. And it's a message we're communicating uh, everywhere across the country. 64% of Americans, uh, when we started our campaign in the fall, were living paycheck to paycheck since the pandemic began. 64% paycheck to paycheck, meaning if that paycheck goes away, I'm struggling whether I pay utility bills or put food on the table for my family. 17 million people are still food insecure. This is in America. There are children who are uh, going to bed hungry at night. 15% of home renters report that they're behind in rent payments and may face addiction. 
And so that is one of the compelling messages that we're trying to educate the American public on is that right now we have families who are in danger of being evicted from their home. And we know that if we could keep a family in their home through food assistance, rent, or utility assistance, um, one, that will keep a family out of becoming homeless, right? We also know that it's close to four to five times more to house and shelter a family than it is to pay uh, a few months worth of the rent or utility assistance. So our campaign, Hope Marches On, is really dedicated to hardworking families who say, I just need some help, especially here at Christmas time. And, um, you know, we have 7,300 centers of operation, and I can tell you they're in overtime with families who are knocking on their door saying, can you just provide some food? Could you help me with the, my utility bill? Uh, could you help me with rent? Uh, and I'll just give you a small statistic. In the first six months of our fiscal year, we provided more rent and utility assistance than we did in all of the previous fiscal year. It was It's just staggering the number of families that we're helping uh, stay in their homes. And so for us, that hope marches on message is, uh, you know, please uh, to everyone, the American public, when you hear that message, help us help your neighbor in need. Remind all of us that, and especially the families we serve, that this hope parade is for them, that together when we lend a hand and we provide that donated dollar in the kettle, all of us can get to the other side of this pandemic and there's hope for everyone. You're right, Dale. I think about it a little bit like we do with disasters that oftentimes, um, you know, a disaster hits and there's a lot of support right up front, uh, but then, you know, something else comes along or, you know, the news cycle changes over. And sometimes we tend to forget about the families who are still suffering those effects. Uh, the Salvation Army doesn't. We are long-term supporters. Um, but even, you know, like you said, there's hope at the end of the tunnel, we hope, for this pandemic. But even when that light, you know, that light there at the end of the tunnel arrives, there will still be families that are feeling the effects. Even when the news stories are gone, um, those families will still be living in it. And the Salvation Army is there to say, we don't, we're not, we haven't forgotten you. We're walking alongside you in this. And that's what, what this Christmas effort is for that's what our fundraising all year around is for to walk alongside those families who are still still feeling the effects you know not not just from covid but from the from poverty in general so we we are here to walk alongside you uh, i'm so thankful to be able to be a part of an organization who cares about people even after the news cycle is over absolutely it uh, it's an incredible blessing um to serve knowing that every day we come to work um, there's a mother and children who this morning were living in their car tonight. They're going to be safe and warm. Um, a single uh, parent father who's struggling with addiction will receive rehabilitation uh, services, substance abuse uh, counseling and rehabilitation through the Salvation Army. That a child will get to leave the city and have a summer camp experience thanks to the generosity of the American public and the Salvation Army ministry. And those are the kind of stories uh, that really inspire, I think, all of our officers, our staff, and our volunteers. We're really making a difference and improving lives every day. Yeah, absolutely. Recently, uh, there was a designation given by the Chronicle of Philanthropy to the Salvation Army. Can you talk a little bit about that um, recognition 
uh, what it means? Well, we're real excited about this designation. I think in 2019, we were number four on America's Favorite Charities list as designated by the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Uh, This year, reported in 2021, which takes our fiscal year 2020 data, and it's based on the number of donations, direct contributions that come into the organization. We're pleased that we bumped from number four to number two in the entire country. Uh, And that's a testimony to uh, so many who rally behind the Salvation Army uh, to help us meet the need at the point of need. And so we're just behind the United Way. Uh, Someday we long to be number one, uh, mainly not because it's uh, something that we can take pride in and and, uh, brag, but it's because we know that there's such an incredible need out there. And the more uh, we're meeting that need, the American public is recognizing that and is coming alongside us uh, to really help suffering uh, humanity. So it's a tribute to all of the hardworking officers and staff and volunteers who are working in local communities. All those donations and volunteer hours and storytelling uh, and and Christmas campaigns, all that adds up, and it, it's great to see the Salvation Army be recognized as number two in the country. Absolutely. We just want to reiterate again that uh, when you donate, even on the national platform, it goes directly back to where the donor's zip code is. So it goes directly back into your community, uh, and that's why we're able to be uh, number two on that list. But if you consider we're a direct service provider, so... Uh, there's no middleman there, right? So that means we're number one on. Yeah, that's right. We're, number one, we're the number one direct service provider. Obviously, couldn't it couldn't do it without the United Way, significant partner of us, particularly in fundraising and grants. Uh, but if you want to uh, help the direct service provider, number two on your list is the Salvation Army, working in local communities all over the country. You're right, and we are thankful. That, that that number one spot uh, is someone who is willing to partner with us and give us assistance. The United Way uh, in many communities across America is helping the Salvation Army achieve its mission. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some trends that you might see in public giving um, just, you know, in general, as culture is shifting, as uh, society is changing with the pandemic? Um, how does that challenge us and how are we equipped to face it? Yeah, I think it's a great question, Major Satterley. And, you know, the one thing that I'm concerned about, because during the pandemic, so many donors stepped to the plate to help the Salvation Army and other human service organizations like ours. Uh, I'm worried about donor fatigue. We don't have stats yet to show if if motivation and inclination to give has gone down. Uh, But we, uh, we do get a sense that Um, certainly during times of disaster, and many relate the pandemic as a disaster-related event. I think we could all agree on on that definition. Um, People step up, and they certainly help um, in times of disaster. But then it's harder sometimes to communicate your message that families are still struggling, that it's going to take the families we serve longer to bounce back and to, to fully recover. And so I think donor fatigue is one of the my greatest concerns. Second to that, you know, if I were doing this podcast 10 years ago, do you know how many nonprofits there were registered in the United States of America? No, I have no idea. Not a million nonprofits. 
Today, Gosh. do you know how many nonprofits are registered in America? I would guess it's a lot. 1.5 million. Yeah. So we've seen tremendous growth. And um, so I think sometimes it's become a little harder for even a national nonprofit uh, in this incredible competitive space to consistently communicate your message, to reach a new audience. And I think that's one of our challenges is that um, we are, are trying to reach a new generation of supporter. We have an intentional strategy that will help reach millennials and Gen Z generation. We know that if we can capture their heart uh, and ask them to volunteer for the Salvation Army, come alongside and behind that shield to help others in need, that those volunteers will eventually become our financial supporters. And so when you have that many nonprofits in the space, it's really important to do everything you can to equip every local Salvation Army to tell that compelling message and to reach a new generation of supporters. So national advertising really does matter in that the more we can extend that brand awareness to every generation, uh, the more supporters we bring on board. So those are my two greatest concerns, donor fatigue and you know, a rising number of nonprofit organizations in the space that make it a little more difficult to tell our compelling message. Sure. I actually think the Salvation Army is very well positioned to work with Gen Z. We know that Gen Z is very mission-oriented uh, generation. They know how to rally behind a cause. They love to be the boots on the ground. Uh, and so, you know, that's who we are. And so I think that if we can, uh, like you said, uh, if if we can reach out reach out to them, you know, and capture their heart, they will be right there alongside us, working with us uh, to make a difference. So I, I have a lot of hope uh, for Gen Z and for the Salvation Army. Major Satterley, I have a Gen Zer in my family. His name is Joshua Michael. He's 21 years old. He gives his dad advice all the time uh, <laughs> about how I can reach his generation. And let me tell you what I love about this generation. They are authentic to the core. Yep. They recognize when you're real. They embrace faith. Um, and when they believe in a cause, they roll up their sleeves and they'll come alongside you. Uh, and they want to help their neighbor in need. They want to help their friends and peers. I think, I really do think the Salvation Army, if we can capture the heart of Gen Zers now and provide really rich volunteer experiences, uh, you know, meet them where they are. Um, and I think we have a lot of initiatives that are doing that all over the country. If you think of Echelon as an incredible young professionals group uh, that is, you know, really bringing on community volunteers at, at that younger age. Uh, I think that's going to really position us well for many years to come um, in, in capturing new supporters to the Salvation Army. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about the difference in service that the Army offers? Uh, you said just a minute ago, there we, are, we have a wealth of nonprofits across the nation. What makes the Army different? Um, how, do we, how, are we, uh, how does our service differ in relation to other organizations and agencies? Well, for me, it always comes back to the mission. We exist to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet human needs in his name without discrimination. Uh, that is not a or, it's an and. They go together. You know, uh, an incredible commissioner, um, Miller, God rest his soul, used to say, are we spiritual? Are we social? And uh, he would end his presentation with, 
uh, were both, right? And he would clench the, the hands together to remind us that uh, both parts of the mission are equally important. And I think of the pandemic, you know, when we were, uh, we were challenged to meet human need um, throughout the country. Some of our facilities had to be closed. You couldn't just invite someone into your pantry because the pandemic was spreading. Uh, it really tested our organization's agility and perseverance. I'm really proud of our Salvation Army. You know, you saw drive-through pantries all over the country. Um, one story I have, uh, there was a major gift officer in New York who was calling donors just to check on them. And there was a senior um, citizen who had been given to us on a monthly basis and just said, I just want to know how you're doing on the pandemic. How are things going? And, she, and uh, she was really in distress. And she said, you know, well, first of all, the governor tells me I can't go out of the house. I'm out of groceries. I have no family nearby. I don't know how to order online. Is there any way the Salvation Army can bring me some food? This was a lifetime donor of ours. And that Salvation Army was resilient and, you know, did everything possible to meet those needs in those local community and brought that donor a bag of groceries. Uh, it just, re and, and it reminds me of how uh, incredible the ministry is and how many people just said, we're going to do what it takes to serve people. But not only are we serving people, it's that first part of the mission that's so important. Maybe your listeners aren't aware of this, but our we had a hope hotline that started in the Southern Territory that then we... Um, we amplified nationally. In fact, one of our partners was Budweiser. And Budweiser said, of all of the uh, nonprofit serving people, we found that you're the only one that offers an emotional and spiritual care hotline. Would you be willing to partner with us where we could promote that hotline? And they resurrected the What's Up campaign with Dwayne Wade. If you haven't seen the YouTube commercial, I encourage you to go see it. Uh, Dwayne Wade and his friends are just checking on one another with that famous what's up. And at the end, it's, it, it basically talks about how we should check on one another. And it said, if you need to talk to someone, call the Salvation Army and it promoted our hotline. We had over uh, close to a million uh, emotional and spiritual care referrals through the hotline and person to person, people coming through drive through pantry, just wanting us to pray with them, to listen to them. And that's the first part of our mission. We can offer you temporary uh, assistance, financial support, but uh, we want to get to the heart of the matter and remind you that Jesus loves you. And uh, we do this because we're motivated by the love of God and uh, I believe so many people through the pandemic even came to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of that whole hotline. And so uh, it's just amazing. I think that's the difference. What sets us apart in the middle of a disaster? Our officers are equipped to become chaplains right in the middle of your neighborhood when the roofs have been blown off. And when you're in desperation, uh, many times you'll, you're apt to, to uh, pray with someone to think about uh, how God saved your life and spared you and your family. And so it's, it's an incredible blessing, but it's also a great responsibility. And it's wonderful to have 
so many uh, officers and staff who are meeting that first part of our mission. Absolutely. I'm so proud of the Salvation Army uh, and the work you know that was done during the pandemic. No, obviously, none of us had a heads up that this was coming, right? And so it wasn't uh, budgeted. We didn't have time to make plans ahead of time. Um, but so many creative ministries came out of it, like you said about the Hope Hotline. Now, we had some units who were helping out with schooling um, of children who, you know, were having to learn virtual, but their parents were still having to work. How does that, uh, you know, how do you manage that? The Salvation Army was right there feeding people. And the the reason we were able to do it is because, you know, listeners, donors came alongside us and contributed and helped support. And so we want to say thank you so much for all that you did uh, to come alongside the Salvation Army. But again, proud of the work that we were able to do uh, during this whole pandemic. There, We talked a little bit about how um, rewarding it is to work for the Salvation Army, to be able to see every day the lives that are being touched. Are there any stories that stick out to you? Because again, we want our listeners to understand and our donors, um, you're giving us dollars, but there are faces behind these dollars. Um, every dollar that you're giving is going to directly affect a life. Uh, and some of those stories are are powerful. You know, for me, uh, I have the privilege sometimes of touring with the National Commander and uh, Commissioner Kenneth Hodder. And he has a vision to tell our stories and he'll visit local communities and try to amplify the message all over the country, particularly when there are these uh, innovative programs. And I remember going out with him in Los Angeles uh, to tour the Salvation Village, which are these little uh, tiny houses uh, where people are, a- instead of, um, you know, in a communal shelter space, this is large room with beds, you get your own little house. I mean, it's just remarkable, the program, and it's in partnership with a local college uh, there in Los Angeles. And I'll never forget an experience where um, the divisional commander was there with Commissioner Hodder and explaining, and we were taping because we wanted people to understand what the Salvation uh, Village was about. And he said, when we can just give uh, someone their own set of keys to their own house, what that does for the dignity uh, of the person we're helping. And just about the time uh, Commissioner Hodder and the divisional commander were telling that story on camera. A gentleman in a wheelchair was wheeling uh, to his tiny house, and he pulled out his keys, and he opened the house, and, and with a ramp was able to get into his tiny home. And it struck my heart that that Salvation Village was for him. And uh, so the privilege of just being able to tell his story and to tell about these innovative programs is amazing. And I think sometimes at national, when we're not you know, directly connected to the field, you have to sometimes go out and, and make yourself available for that. Uh, for me personally, um, one of the greatest privileges I have is every Sunday morning at 8 a.m., um, I now teach a men's Bible study at the Adult Rehabilitation Center in Northern Virginia. And if you've never uh, heard broken men who are in a healing process come together, read the scriptures, pray together, sing together, learn together, there's nothing quite like it. 
I'm definitely receiving more of a blessing than certainly that I'm, I'm uh, giving back. And um, for me, that's how every day, you know, every week I'm in touch with the local ministry. It reminds me why we're in this calling and ministry to begin with. And uh, to see uh, broken men become whole again, accept Christ as their Savior, receive that healing that they need through that rehabilitation program, um, and become whole. It's just, it's, it's an amazing blessing. And it's miraculous, quite frankly. Uh, it reminds me every day that salvation is our middle name and it's a privilege to serve. All right. Thanks so much, Dale, for being with us and talking to us about Hope Marches On and the Salvation Army's Christmas efforts. That's going to be the end of this episode of the Fight for Good podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, follow the War Cry and Peer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, this has been the Fight for Good. See you later. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.